0: Visit our website at OALAIG.org, where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active.
1: I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Ken.
0: Hi, my name is Ken. I'm an outstanding, compulsive world reader Hi. I've always called myself an overachiever with a fork.
1: That's, that's what I did very well.
0: A large part of my adult life. I got up close to 300 pounds and went over, but I don't know how much over, because I only got on normal scales. They go up to 299, then they hit zero. And that's what would uh, drive me to the next thing that would work. And over the years, and I just want to spend a couple minutes on my past, Over the years, I took amphetamines for over 30 years. Uh, I wound up with a hepatic liver in the Encino Hospital in 1971. I didn't take any medication while I was here. The doctor asked me if I'm using any medication. I lied. I said no. And the reason I lied was, to me, amphetamines were something to help you stop eating. It wasn't a medicine. Uh, I recovered from that, and I went back out, and I started using the pills again. I also went to Weight Watchers when I first moved out here. I saw a hypnotherapist when I moved here, and when I lived in the East, I went to a psychotherapist. And all the doctors helped me get down in weight until I had enough of them, and I wanted to stop paying them, and the weight comes right back. because I was trying to fix my body, and that, I believe, is not where our disease lives. It lives between my ears. That's where it lives. That's what motivates me to take the crazy action rather than to slow down and think about what would work. I never thought about what would work. I'm an addict when it comes to food. And my definition of an addict is someone who reaches for something physical in order to solve something emotional or spiritual. And I reached for food. It was never alcohol. It wasn't drugs. It was food. I could carry it with me all the time. I had it in my clothing, I had it in my car, kept some in the office. Uh, A meal was just a, uh, a bridge to the next thing I would eat. I never thought of three meals a day. I never thought of one day at a time. I didn't know this language. In 1978, I went to a business meeting in San Francisco, and God was working my life that night, and I didn't know it. I went to a business meeting. I saw a man I hadn't met in over ten years. I've been living here since '68. Uh, he came in from New York for this meeting, and I saw him. He had a, a neat-looking body and a smile on his face. And I went up to him and said, Stan, What's wrong?" And uh, he said, uh, "I found a wonderful way of living because we used to binge together in New York. We'd have lunches together quite often, and..." He said, I found a wonderful way to live. It's called Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't like the first word, didn't understand the second word. And the only other thing I listened to about that was that he said, you can go to any city, open the white pages, and you'll find Overeaters Anonymous. I said, thank you. I said, God was working my life that night because that was 30 years ago. I've never seen him since. We met on one night after 10 years, and now it's 30 years later. I don't know where he is. He doesn't know where I am. But he planted a seed, and I wasn't ready to go try it. This was in February. In May of that year, I was going out to buy clothing, which I detested doing, and which I can accept today because I go to regular stores and I buy a number that's on the rack. I don't have to ask about the number that's not showing. And uh, I'm more comfortable. I can't say I'm totally at ease, but I'm more comfortable buying clothing today. So I didn't want to go to the tall and big men's store and I looked up Old Anonymous, and God was working in my life a second time. Because I dialed the number, and I didn't get a person. If I would have gotten a woman or a man, I probably wouldn't be here tonight. I got a recording, and it said there was a meeting in Van Nuys. It's a Wednesday night meeting. It was a huge meeting. I thought all meetings were like that. There were over 150 people in the room. And they were hugging each other, they were smiling. I, I thought they were all related to each other, they seemed to know each other. And I found out later, you know, we only know each other by the language we speak and the actions we used to take. But I sat down at the meeting, I was very annoyed. I didn't see a scale, I didn't see a nurse, I didn't see a doctor. In those days, program was a bit different. You'd pick up something called a gray sheet, it would have three suggested meals a day, and you'd get a sponsor. And the sponsor would be for 21 days, one day at a time. At the end of 21 days, that was your commitment. You could fire your sponsor or your uh, sponsor could fire you. So I looked around. I, I wanted to get this over with immediately. And I, I just couldn't open my mouth Today, that. See, I could not be humble enough to ask for help. But then I, I didn't want anyone to teach me anything. I was also a compulsive know-it-all. And so... The meeting closed. I heard people pitch. It sounded very interesting, and I decided I'd go back and try it. Now, there are 50 meetings in the San Fernando Valley, even back then. I could have gone to one the next night, but my head said, no, you have to go next Wednesday. This is why I always took direction from what's going on up here between my ears. So next Wednesday I went back. I looked around. I picked out that meeting had a break. And at the break I picked out a man who had a small stature, a very normal-looking body, and he was shorter than I was. I can control people like this. And I said, do you want to show me what this is about? He said, you're looking for a sponsor? I said, yeah, well, whatever you do. You know, I couldn't use those words. And so he said, we'll talk after the meeting. And we spoke about the ten minutes. And we decided he, he would try me out and I'd try him out for 21 days. I call with my food every morning between 7.30, 7.45, and he spoke to me in plain English. He said, Ken, if you're going to put it in your mouth, put it in my ear. I understood that. So it's not a matter of just dabbling maybe at 3 o'clock on something, but it's not much. I'm going to put it in my mouth. He's got to know what it is. And for three weeks, 21 days, I called him every day. I committed my food. I ate the food I committed, and I dropped down 15, 16 pounds. So the first thought, I don't need you, and I don't need him. Now I know what to do. I write down what I'm eating. Well, all the weight came back. It came back, and it dropped off, and it came back over the summer of 78 until November, which I reached a a bottom I never want to reach again. I I ate for 48 consecutive hours in the preparation of Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving (laughs) meal, the, the food cold at night in a dark kitchen. And I woke up sick the next day, and I called the, his name was Neil. I don't know what happened to him. He's sort of disappeared over the years. I said, Neil, what do I do? I told him what I did. I said, what do I do? So he said, well, the first thing you do, tell me what you're going to eat today. I said, we've done that already. I mean, what else can I do? He said, no, just today. Tell me what you're going to eat. I said, I'm not hungry. I just finished the two-day meal. He said, well, you're going to visit food three times today. Why don't you just have a couple grapes or an apple? but have something three times a day because you've got to learn to live with three meals a day. And I realized that I'm happy with that today. I'm glad I'm not a dog. They only live on one meal a day.
1: <laughs> so I, I,
0: I get to visit food three times a day. And I call it a visit because I'm only visiting it. I'm not sitting until it's all gone. And I would commit my food to him and the weight started coming off. I couldn't believe it. There are a lot of times I didn't want to go to a meeting, and he reminded me, that's the day you go. You don't go when you made a plan to go, and you want to, you want to go, and you want to be there because you want to see a certain group of people or whatever. That's okay. You can go. But when you don't want to go, get your ass to a meeting. He's the only person I let talk to me this way because I don't want to lose him. I don't want to start with someone else. I bought the big book. It was sitting at home on a shelf, and he asked me, do I ever read it? I said, no, I bought it. I have it at home. He said, well, you have to start somewhere. I said, I can't read it. I, said, I start on the first page. It talks about a 100 demoralized people. puts me to sleep.
1: <laughs> said, he said,
0: next time you have insomnia, read that page. So I want you to start on 482. I'm talking about, by the way, when I mention the big book, the third edition, because that's what was available when I came in in those days. They have a fourth edition now, and the pages are different. But in those days, it was 482, and I said, what's on it? If he could tell me what's on it, I'd have to read it. He said, Ken, you read it, and you tell me what's on it. He knew exactly how to talk to me. It's a short page. It's only about this long, so I read it. long page I might put off until uh, later, tomorrow, or maybe never is a short page. It deals with self-honesty, not cash register honesty. I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I have to make a change, I can call and say, you know what, I have to deviate because of whatever happened, and I'm going to go left instead of right. Or I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I'll uh, let you know when I figure it out. I cannot make that decision on my own. I'm going to be honest with one other person. And that could be my food sponsor. We only had one kind of sponsor in those days. A sponsor. It was your food sponsor and everything else, the steps. I started reading pages in the book that have to do with uh, relationships. 449 is a classic page on acceptance, but the real gist of the relationship thing is on 452. It tells you how to do a relationship with another person in a very short page. You go into a bookstore, you see aisles and aisles that tell you how to do a relationship and how to live with other people. They cover it in one short page. They even cover how to do a relationship with yourself. I found it amazing. I read about anger, which is on 228, 229. We're going to visit anger because we're human. What we do with it is what counts. See, what happens in my life is God's will. What I choose to do about it is my choice. That was a separation of thought and action in my head. So I read the book. Uh, I was told to read pages. Sometimes you said, let it fall open. You tell me what you read. I like the page, Lack of Power. That was my dilemma. I jumped on that page because I thought it was going to show me about power. It's 45 and 46. So anyway, I've been reading the book for years ever since. And sometimes when my head's in another place, I'm getting a different result out of the same words from the same page I read once before. It means something different to me. I also read Four Today when I wake up in the morning. It's a small white book. And uh, there are many small books, 24 hours a day, one day at a time. Uh, I happen to read that one. I've read it for over 25 years. And I get to a new page, and I still can't remember when I read that page before, but I've read it for 25 years. And it's a small message, and it sort of gives me serenity up here and the sanity. Step out of bed knowing that I don't have to worry about everybody else who's worrying about Ken. Nobody is at that hour of the day. I worried about myself. And it gives me a thought to go forward. Um, He eventually asked me if I want to work the steps. Later on, he told me if I said no, he'd ask me to get another sponsor. But I said, yes, I'll try it. And I thought you... Work the steps the way you visit a cafeteria. You look them over, you see which one you like, you start there. And you look them over, maybe you'll do that one. He said you start on number one. That's the way they're written. And number one is admitting, I have to admit, at a meeting, stand up. My very first pitch ever was admitting I was a compulsive overeater. That's the only pitch I ever remembered making. I said uh, I ate when I was angry, I ate when I was sad, I ate when I was depressed. And one other time, I ate when I was awake. And that's exactly how I worked with food. I had to admit that out loud, and I had to also write down what my trigger foods were. That's the first step. The second step, I can understand what I read it in the 12 and 12, coming to believe there was a power greater than myself because the doctors couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't pay someone else to do it. And there is a power out there, and I don't know what that power is to this day, but I accept the fact that there's a power greater than Ken. The third step was the most difficult in realizing I'm going to turn my will and my life over to something. What? I didn't know what. And I thought about it. Instead of asking him, I wanted to find the answer myself. So I read it in the 12 and 12. I read it in the big book. I couldn't understand it, and I finally said, Neil, how am I supposed to find God? And he just blew me away. He said, Ken, don't concentrate on finding God. Your job is to look for God. You look for God when you go to a meeting. You look for God when you pick up the phone and call a person you're not a friend, close friend with or a relationship of, but you're going to talk to them about a few minutes of what you're doing or don't want to do. You find God when you open the big book. You find God when you mix in the program and do service." And that's what I've been doing ever since. I've held different positions as secretary, treasurer, all these things. Uh, I was a hugger once. And that's how you find God. We get out of ourselves. If, we stay, if I stay within the confines of myself, I'll close out everybody else and worry about what's wrong. I'll never figure it out. I will never figure it out. So the big book has given me the 12 steps I wrote my inventory. I went to a meeting. I live in the valley uh, near Ventura Boulevard, but I went to a meeting at the back end up on Nordoff. I wanted to go to a meeting where I never knew anybody. I wasn't going to read this to my sponsor. I wanted to go and find an alien from another planet to read this to so he could go away afterwards. And I said, I have this thing. He said, oh, an inventory. I said, yes, I'm supposed to read it to you and get it over with. So we went outside, went to his office, and uh, I read it. He just started at the top and ended at the bottom. So I read it. I read it several pages. And when I was done, I was waiting for his input. He took them, offices had ashtrays in those days. He burnt it in the ashtray, stirred up the ashes, tossed it out. He said, That's garbage. You want to go out and have a cup of coffee? And that was simple. It's the action. That made it happen. Not the burning, the reading, and everything else. The doing of it that made it happen. This is a, an action program. We can't get into thought. We have to get into action. I say that because every time I sit down and want to really work something out myself without anybody's input, I get screwed up. I mean, I know math. I could do math problems. I how a spell. I could do crossword puzzles. But I've to out a relationship uh, regarding another person, a relative or a neighbor, I better sit down and react slowly. Because if I don't, I'm in trouble. Many years ago, in 1935, before the big book was written, Dr. Bob, who was an actual doctor in Toledo, Ohio, was asked by a normal person out there, I call those people out there terminally normal, a normal person asked him, he said, what, what do you do at those meetings where all the drunks go to and, and they're giving up drinking? He said, what, what do you do there? He said, and he thought, you know, there was no big book. The 12 steps were in the formation at that time. And he said, I'll tell you what it is. And he took his prescription pad and he wrote out a prescription. He wrote his name at the top and he wrote, one, two, three. One, trust God. Two, clean house. And three, do for others. That's what we do with the meetings. And he gave that person a prescription. And that's really the gist of 12 steps for me and a big book and the meeting rooms. We have to trust God, especially when I question it highly. I have to clean house on a daily basis. Something gets up here it'll lot before I go to sleep tonight. And I have to do for others. Over the years sometime 10, 11 years ago, I came across a person who had a copy of that prescription. I said, I'd love to have a copy. So he sent it to me. And if any of you would like a copy of that, give me an address, and I'll send you a copy of Dr. Bob's prescription. I've done things in my life now that I never would achieve or thought I could do then. I had good relationships with my mother, who I lost six years ago. And we had problems when I was growing up. I had a good relationship with my father, who I lost 20 years ago. And this is amazing to me, that I can have relationships with people and say hello and not get into the whole thing of control. It's not a control issue, and it's not a food issue. I went to a doctor once, had a physical, and I said to him, "What, what is my weight supposed to be, you know? He looked at me, and he's uh, between 170 and 190. I said, no, 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 I want a number. And he looked and said, only statues have numbers. He said, you're a person. You have a range. He said, based on your bone structure, your size, your age, your physique, whatever, it should be somewhere in that range. And in the winter, when you're sedentary, you don't move around much, and it gets dark at 430, Your weight will creep up a pound or two or three or four. In the summer, if you're swimming or you're out walking and it's uh, light out and so you're more active, it'll go down two, three, four pounds. You've got to have a range. And I thought about what he said, and I believed him. I don't want to be a statue. You know what birds do to them. (laughs) So I've become relaxed with the fact that I have a range. And today, I get on the scale... And I'm somewhere around 180. And that's amazing because that's in the middle of the range he gave me years ago. couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. Something amazing happened to me uh, in 2003. I went to a meeting in Burbank. And this is a 7.30 a.m. meeting for an hour. It's a very strong meeting. I drove out on the freeway by myself. I went to the meeting. I sat through it. I went out to have a cup of coffee with one of the fellows there. Then I got back on the freeway, and by 9 o'clock I drove home alone. And I got home, and about two hours later, my wife and I went out for lunch. I sat down in a booth, fell over with a cardiac arrest, and uh, woke up seven days later. It didn't happen in the car when I was driving there. It didn't happen when I was driving home. It didn't happen at the meeting. It happened when I sat down in the booth with my wife. And fortunately, she yelled out to someone, I don't know, I was out, yelled out, and someone was able to give me CPR. And I was then taken to the hospital where I had to be revived, I was told, three times, and I'm here today. And the doctor who saw me at one time told me, I, I heard about all the weight you used to carry. And I said, yes, I got rid of a lot of weight years ago. and I do the best I can. He says, it's a good thing you did, because CPR doesn't work on 300-pound people. When you press down, you can't get the circulation going. And I just shut up for a minute and thought about that. And what can I say to the doctor? I can't thank him. I had to thank God. The doctor is only the messenger. Doctors give us the message. But it comes, I believe, from a power greater than him or myself. So I'm still here, and every once in a while I ask, how am I doing? He says, oh, you're doing great. You're doing fine. And thank God I could live one day at a time. I had to learn that, too. This is a learning process. I'm still not finished learning about this program. I'm still not finished learning from people that speak at a meeting. I pick up things all the time and say, boy, that that makes sense. That's good. That's a good, one." And I learn because we teach each other, and we're open to it. Nobody paid us to walk into this room tonight. Nobody ever pays us to walk into any room. I do it because it's good for me. I believe that's why you're doing it too. We have to have a place to go to. I have to have a book to work out of. I had a workbook at one time that uh, I gave out to different people who would do pages in the workbook and then send them back. Um, If I'm not active in the program, I start to slow down. I'm taking a trip Tuesday. I'm going out of town for the rest of the week. I'll be in Chicago. And the first thing I pack is my program. I give my little for-today book to my wife. She puts it in a plastic folder. I put it in the case. That's the first thing I do. Then I look in my wallet. I see I have my address book. It has about 30 numbers and addresses in it. So I have contacts. And I go. I'm going to go. I have a good time. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat three meals a day. And avoid what I want most, because I'm still a compulsive overeater and there are things that get in front of me and I still want them. And I say, you know what, I can have it. I just have to skip over the first bite. I'm not going to take that first bite and then it goes away. The thought goes away. This is where I used to act, right off the thought, and the first thought is like the first word out of my mouth. It's never the good one. I have to bite my tongue sometimes on a certain thought and wait and say, okay, now I'm able to speak. That's just my makeup. That's the way I am. And I, because I'm not a perfect person. I'm as perfect as any one of you in this room. And if you know your past, you know my past. But I am recovering and I'm grateful for it because I can't pay for this. It's free. And it's available. It's always available, no matter where I've gone. I've been to Eugene, Oregon. I used to travel in business. I've been to uh, Salt Lake City. I've been to Portland, Seattle. I traveled in the business where every time I came back with a large amount of business, I was told how, that's good, but you know what you really need to do, and I get a higher call to go out the next time. I figured if I came, down with nothing, came back with nothing, uh, that wouldn't be good. And If I come back with a lot, that's not good either. So I have to let go of it. My, my work was never my higher power. Food was never my higher power. Funny thing happened a few years ago. I sat down at someone's home to eat, and they put a plate of food in front of me, and it was a, a dinner plate. It was about this big. I guess 12, 13 inches across. I said, oh, my God, you're giving me a platter. I said, no, that's our dinner plate. So I went home, and I said to my wife, What do you put on a dinner plate? And she showed me. It's a small luncheon plate. That's what I eat off of the home. I didn't know it. So the first reaction is anger. I'm getting screwed out of half a meal every time I eat a meal. And the second reaction was, it works. Because the plate's full. If I see the plate is full, that's better. It's still not enough, but it's better. There's never enough. I don't have enough of anything. I always wanted more. Even in the best of times, I wanted something to be better. And that's because my head's playing games with me again. I'm not a normal person. I don't like to share food. I like to uh, put up, you know, the knife and the fork with the food over here, and you want some of it, try and get it.
1: (laughs) Because I want
0: my own portion of food. I don't want yours. I want mine. That's the way it works for me. I do not know any other way. So I learned about how to deal with food. So once in a while I'll ask someone, you know, we're going to this uh, meal, where, wherever it is, at this restaurant. I don't know what I can have there because it's a weird restaurant. We didn't choose it or whatever. And he said, chicken, fish, and meat. Break it down. One of those three. That's all. I asked for it as plain as possible. And it, all the other stuff runs away. I have an abstinence today that I didn't have in the beginning. It grew on me. I limit my sugar because sugar's in everything. You can't you can't avoid sugar. It's in natural fruit, but that's not refined. That's natural sugar. I don't eat bread. I don't eat red meat. Now red meat was a good reason for me to go home every night. I'd have red meat every night. Sometimes I had something to eat before I got home that tied me over on the commute from Wilshire Boulevard to Woodland Hills, and then I'd go in and have my meat dinner. And that's been lifted. We say something has been lifted. It's not an issue anymore. I don't order it. I don't want it. And if we're going to an all-beef restaurant, I'll order a large salad. because there's some other people that want to go there, whatever. I eat chicken. I eat turkey. I eat fish. And it has to come on a plate, that's my portion. But I don't eat, I lost it for red meat. And I'm still amazed because I used to love to order red meat, especially in restaurants where I can get an end cut of something and it's huge. That doesn't appeal to me anymore. That change has to be uh, spiritual. I don't know what else it is. I don't decide not to eat it, I don't want it. So, I'm not the same person I was when I came in here. I'm not going to be the same person tomorrow, and neither will you. You will live off today's choices. And if you have a good day, that's the best way to deal with tomorrow, i found. Once in a while I call someone up and say, how's your day going? And we talk for a few minutes, and then they thank me for calling them, but I had to make the call. Because I'm sitting around, once in a while my wife will go out and she'll play a game at night, uh once a month or something it's called Mahjong and I'm left at home. You know what the loudest thing in the house is? The refrigerator. It hums.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't have to go in the kitchen for anything. I can get water elsewhere. I don't need anything else. So I pick up the phone and I see how some friends are doing. I sponsor some people. Some people sponsor me. I started with one sponsor. I have several. Some of, them, some of the people that sponsor me are the same people I sponsor Because we're trading recovery. That's the way this works. Nobody is at a higher level than anyone else. We're all at different levels of recovery. But you know what? Today, if you're recovering and I'm recovering, we're the same. That's all that counts. So that's who I am today. I don't have time to fool around with food one more time because I have a deep fear that I may not have another recovery. I may not. My head just may say, see, Ken? This is what you should have done. You wasted 30 years. I mean, it's going to be 30th birthday if I make it in November. That's an amazing number. I remember my first year and my fifth year. I don't remember all the other years. I said, five years? When I came in here and someone took candle for one year, I said, what did they do for one year? And so I try to go forward a day at a time. I go to meetings like this, and I get a lot back from people at pitch at a meeting. And I'll leave you with a thought. I picked up over the years a lot of uh, proverbs that people have stated. And some of them have something to do with program, but most of them do not. They were said by people who didn't even know program existed. And I'm thinking of one today I'll leave you with. Between tomorrow's regret and yesterday's fantasy is today's opportunity. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, questions. Anyone have a question? Hi. Hi, Ken. Good to see you. Thank you very much for your uh, your talk. I got a lot out of it. Ken, have you ever had moments where you made your wife your higher power, and if you did, how did you deal with it? Um. When it concerns areas in the family that I don't want to really deal with, my wife can handle it. She handles it very well. So I'll live with her decision, and I'm happy with it. But as far as my wife fixing me, no, she can't fix me. I don't think there's a human that could fix me, because if someone tried hard enough, I would do the opposite. So I accept her decisions on many, many things, but she doesn't fix me. Anyone else? No.
1: Hi. Thanks for your share. Um, and this is kind of pertaining to the way I'm living. And in becoming abstinent, And when you first became Aston, you were active in business. Did you find it, I mean, it's so hard for me to do three meals a day with the hours I work. And how did you get yourself to just do it?
0: Well, I was wondering about that myself because I used to go to business functions and have things at night, and there's always food served. And I was told somewhere between the time I wake up, in the next two hours I'm going to have breakfast, whatever I call breakfast. And sometime between 12 and 2, I have lunch. And it's after 2, I'll wait till dinner. I don't have lunch after 2 o'clock. And I'll have dinner between 5, and I'll go as late as 8, but I don't eat after 8 o'clock. And that, that's the parameter. I gave myself windows that I could eat. It didn't have to be strict at a certain hour, at a certain time. And when people offered me things, I'd say, boy, that looks good. I'm passing. They don't have to know why. They're a normal person. They wouldn't understand it. They say I'm a compulsive overeater. They'll offer it to me again. So I'd just say, no, that looks good. I'm passing. And if they, <laughs> if they push a little bit too much, I'll look them in the eye and i say, that's not good for me. And I'll back off. They'll think I have a uh, ulcer or diabetes, which I don't have. They'd understand it. But just being an overeater, they don't understand it. So I know I'm going to visit food three times a day. And even at a wedding, I won't eat a dinner at 10 o'clock at night. And that's, that's what I do. Again, I'm not perfect, but I'm staying within those parameters. I can't hear
1: you.
0: Wait, how my what played out? Character defects. defects. They're very easy. It's uh, anger, depression, fear, being morose. And if I get into them, I'm going to have to make an amend. Not only to someone else, but to myself. And sometimes I get very close to the edge because that's how my mind works. And I have to back off. i walk out of a room. I'll stop. I just have to stop. I cannot follow through on my next thought. All of these defects are related in some way. For example, for me, depression is anger without enthusiasm. I just shut up and I'm depressed, but I'm really pissed off. If I open up and you hear me, that's anger. Same thing. So, I can't start to wonder about why I have those feelings. I have feelings because I'm a human being. I'm going to have those feelings. If if I don't have any feelings, I'm either asleep or I'm gone. But I have that feeling. What I do with them is how I handle a character defect. I can't give up a character defect 100% on the day I gave it up. I slid into everything getting better and better and better. And that includes being depressed about something, being angry about something, being morose about something, being anxious about something going on. I have to just stop and think about it. Sometimes I'll write down some lines about it to see how it looks on paper. It looks different than when I'm thinking it. And that's what I do. Yes? Yes?
1: Can you talk a little bit more about know-it-all items? Because I think I suffered on that, too. And um, you said, like, uh, you kind of had certain things that you didn't feel comfortable with. Like, because I know when I first came in the program, the word sponsor all the time, gives me the willies So, like, can you talk about how the program helped you work on know-it-all
0: items? Well, coming from business, when I came into this program, I was supposed to know more than the people I were going out to visit, to meet. And I took that thought wherever I went, with relatives, with people, and when I came in the program. How can I go into a room and I don't understand what you're talking about? That at first made me angry. And then I said, well, if I don't try to find out, I won't know. I talk to myself that way. If I don't want to find out, I won't know. Because there are many things that I don't have an idea about. I'm not supposed to. And most of the knowledge in this world, I do not have. I think many of you do not have. What you have is your own. And so when you run into something new, when I ran into something new, I had to stop and say, Ken, make the best of it. Listen to what they say. They may be right, they may be wrong, but you could decide later. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to disagree with them right now. I could just let it go in, know that I heard it. Because being a know-it-all, gave me attention, and I don't need that attention today. Because if I didn't know something, I'd make it up. That's how I'd know it all, including directions on how to get somewhere. (laughs) So I cannot expect to know it all. I listen to doctors. They talk a different language. You listen to a lawyer. They talk a different language. I don't want to learn that language. But I take what I need from it and then say, shut up. I tell my head to shut up. Because if I want to solve a whole thing myself, I can get into trouble. And that's, that's where this program comes in with the word humble. I have to humble myself to realize that every one of you knows something I don't know. I have a, uh, a regimen in the morning. It's the only regimen I have. I wake up at uh, 7 o'clock every morning. The first phone call comes in at 7.10. So after that call, I read for today. Before my feet hit the floor, before I'm in the bathroom, I pick up for today. I'm going to get that message. And it's only one little page, but it's good for me. My breakfast is juice and coffee. Maybe at home, sometimes out. But when I have juice and coffee instead of the eggs and all the other food that that are breakfast foods, I don't get hungry at 10 o'clock like I used to. When I eat a big breakfast, I'd be hungry by like 10, starved by 11, famished by noon. Because now I realize I'm having juice and coffee, and this is how my abstinence works. I'm not telling everyone to do this. You make your own. So I have one person in my life that I know has oatmeal every day. Every single day in the morning, her breakfast is oatmeal. So, When I get to lunch, it broadens a bit. And I have to remember, I can have two things. I have a salad and I have fruit. If I go out somewhere, I can have an omelet and a side of coleslaw or fruit. That's it. Nothing else. No potatoes, no bread. Dinner, I have a regular dinner. I have a salad, I have an entree, and I have fruit for dessert. Some variety of fruit. I love summer fruit. I love it so much that I can't stand looking at it in the refrigerator. I want to take a whole bunch of this and a bunch of that because I love summer fruit, And I know in less than two months it will be gone. This is my head work.